This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to The Wild Initiative Podcast Network. Learn more and check out all the shows at thewildinitiative.com. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, where we talk all things fishing, conservation, and the outdoors. Today on the show, I'm joined by one of my best fishing buddies, Allie Bear. All right, welcome to episode number nine of the Fish Untamed Podcast. Today is more of a relaxed episode. I'm just having a virtual beer and BS session with my good friend Allie. She is currently working on a documentary film called Daughter of the White River and got to stay on the White River for a couple weeks and obviously got to do a little bit of fishing while she was there. Uh, we also wanted to just kind of relive some of our favorite fishing memories. Uh, Allie and I have been fishing together for probably the past six or seven years now and always seem to find ourselves getting into sticky situations in the backcountry. So um, living in different states now, we figured it'd be fun to just hop on and crack a beer and talk about some of our favorite memories. So without further ado, here is my chat with Allie Bear. So is it just by chance at the angling resort? Yes, I was already excited about being on the project. I didn't um, know like how much access I would have and that sort of stuff, but I was like, oh, it's in Mountain View. It's right by the White River. Like, sweet. Never been up there. Um, and then uh, and then I got my housing assignment because they just house all the cast and crew. And like, honestly, there was maybe like five other crew members in that resort. And then everyone, everyone's just all around. So like they had people housed all over the place. Um, and I was just randomly one of the people that they housed in a cabin literally on the White River. And so I got like my housing in an email like a few days before I headed up there. And I was like, well, shit. So I got super excited. 
like honestly the cabin was sweet the resort was really cool they had guided fishing but no like that's not really a fly fishing area um if you go a little further on towards cotter and like the norfolk of the white river the north fork of the white river slash norfolk um that's where like there's a big fly fishing guided like fly shop hub um and i why is it divided like fly fishing one place and not other places. You know, I really don't know. And that feels like more of an Arkansas thing. I like there is fly fishing in Arkansas, but it's difficult because there's still some, I would say the majority of areas and majority of areas on the water, whether it be river, lake, whatever, uh, people are still like, they're interested in fly fishing. Like I talked to so many people um, at the resort. I talked to like all their employees. I told them like what I do in the summers and asked them for their advice on where to go and that sort of stuff. And they were super friendly, but all like acted like, well, we don't, we don't know anything. Like people don't really fly fish around here. And like many people told me that, but everyone was really cool about it and was like, I'd love to try it and that sort of stuff. Um, so I like got to show a couple people how and that sort of thing, but I, I don't know what it is. And that, and that's one thing about Arkansas that makes it even harder for me to build a fly fishing community around here. So I feel like they're very small pockets where those exist and none of them are close to Little Rock or even like the closest, um, the closest one is probably like an hour and a half and that's the Little Red River. And that's like the main place I go. But maybe that's like a an opportunity. Yeah. You know, cause like imagine trying to start something out here in Colorado and it's just, it feels so saturated. That's true. You know, I mean, to be fair, it's it's mostly like up in the mountains. Like if you come down to any given pond, like in Denver city limits, you're gonna get spin fishermen. But, spin fishermen, yeah. But I feel like that's that's just a proximity to like mountain streams, not a you know there's a fly shop here, and so there's a hub. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting, and it definitely didn't stop me from doing it. And like the main issue I had in terms of like fishing on the white right where I was staying is that, like the water was just super high. Um, so did you so- fish at all? I did. Yeah. I fished, I think probably four or five times over my stay. Uh, well, plus, plus a couple extra times on that tributary that I walked down to. Um, and Is that, that where fun. you saw the big trout, the big brown? No, no, no. That was on the little red river. So oh, okay. on my drive home, like halfway between where I was staying on the white and little rock is the little red. And that's the place I like the most familiar with fishing. And there's like a lot of really good spots. Um, so that's where I ended up fishing for my birthday because I, like I wanted to go somewhere and the the water there was actually re- relatively low so the fishing was really good and uh and like I could see tons of fish and that sort of stuff which isn't always the case there either so um so I went there like after like after I wrapped on the film but like during production while I was while I was staying on the white I did fish like I had one off day where I got to go on a boat, a couple of locals took me and our lead actor from our movie uh, on their boat for like a whole day. And they were doing like fishing with lures and and like night crawlers. And I did some of that too. And like, I literally haven't fished with like lures and that sort of stuff in probably since I was a little kid. Like, I don't know, in a really long time especially trolling from a boat like that. So it was actually pretty fun because we like spent a lot of time chatting and drinking beer and like trolling. And I also tried to try to do some different versions of that with like different big old streamers and stuff and had very little success. But what they would do, they were super nice. And like they would they had like four different spots that they took me and dropped me off that were waitable. Mm-hmm. So I brought my waiters and they would like drop me off. I would 
fly fish, they would keep going down and then they would motor back up and pick me up and take me to the next spot. So we spent like a whole day doing that. So, um, I fly fish. I mean, I literally, I just used nymphs the whole day. I tried streamers. Streamers weren't working for me. I don't know enough, like kind of like we've been talking about too. Like I'm just not comfortable enough with streamers in big water like that. Um, so I probably wasn't getting enough weight or like something like I wasn't getting deep enough or something, but I, I don't think I caught a single thing on streamers that day. I caught trout on nymphs. And then every time I would throw any dry flies, I would just catch like little shad or like a couple of, a couple of, um, bass. Yeah. So that was like my full day of fishing and it was really cool and like pretty different from what I would typically do, but it was so awesome that these, yeah, these random locals took us out on their boat. Also, the guy that went with us was later literally like an actor from Los Angeles, California, oh, really? and like hasn't done anything like that ever. So he was really fun to to go with and like a pretty funny. So what companion. makes the water high? Like, is it a tailwater or is it has it been raining? What's going on? Yeah, no, they're at that point they're below. I think like four different lakes, like reservoir lakes. That so they're just are, letting it out. They were letting out a lot of water and that's what they were explaining to me these people were also really sweet and i like we stayed we got each other's contact information they were like well since you're close like if you're ever wondering how conditions are in this area just text us and we can like give you the like they live on the river they're like have a house that they can see it from and stuff so they're like we'll just let you know and the guy like guides he guides um just like general fishing from his boat I think that he always just does the thing where they troll and do all that they were really nice what's in the white river like what all species well so trout wise they said they see um in that area primarily rainbows I actually uh we didn't catch a single brown trout the whole day oh, that's brown fine, trout I feel like, like that's what I think of that's what I think of too and I do catch browns in the little red and I know that like up on the North Fork and like and in Northwest Arkansas, like you see a lot of those bigger browns. Um, and they said they do catch them, but they said they catch like probably 80 to 90% rainbows where they're at. And that's like, we caught a ton of fish. They, they were all rainbows. Trout wise, that's all I caught um, on the white was rainbows. So it was interesting. And yeah, definitely like different than my expectation, but it wasn't a bad thing. It was just like, you know, you have one thing in your head and with the White River, the thing that I feel like everyone thinks of is like a good looking brown trout. Um, and I wasn't just like maybe in the prime area for that or whatever, or like ne didn't know what to throw that was gonna interest a brown and that sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then there, there are white bass and then there's a lot of smallmouth bass and and other than that, I mean, all the, like, lots of little shad and bluegill and that sort of stuff Okay. in the, in the slack water, um, cause it is still fairly warm. Um, but yeah, that's all I saw. And they, they did say they occasionally catch brook trout as well. Really? I wouldn't mm -hmm. have pictured that in a, like a river that with all the other species you just named, like, I just do not think of brook trout. I know. I thought so too. And just the size of it and everything. Are they but... big? Like, I feel like you'd have to be to like compete, but... I should have, I should have asked more about it because they, they kind of mentioned that I was asking them what, what they catch mostly. And they said like rainbows, mostly sometimes German Browns and then sometimes brook trout. And they didn't really say anything on the size, but yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know. 
Huh. I really don't know. Yeah, I should have asked to see like a picture or something. So what's the other movie then? The one that you're actually working on, The Daughter of the White River? I know that so, one has nothing to do with fishing either, but... Yeah. So that one is set... Um, well, it's a documentary, so it's like a historical story slash series of things that, that happen and sort of this whole culture. But that one is set on a, yet another section of the White River in Arkansas. And so that one is going to be um, on southeast southeast arkansas central east arkansas like um clarendon st charles smaller towns that no one knows anything about unless you're fairly local um but these are all towns on the white river and and it's interesting because the ecosystem is very different over there so i don't really know anything about fishing in that area i know that there are fish there obviously um a little bit of the research that we've done just for the whole historical piece that we're doing. Um, like, I can't remember if it was Helen Spence's father, someone in the story, like used to guide fishing and all this stuff. And there's definitely fish. I know like bass and stuff is a factor that I don't know about trout because it's a little more of like a swampy bayou type okay. environment. It's like super different. Um, but anyway, the, the documentary that we're producing on that is all about this girl uh, Helen Spence, this young woman who lived in the houseboat community in that area of the White River. And she was born, I think, in Clarendon, Arkansas, and then lived in St. Charles on, on a houseboat. So, like, there was this whole community of people who lived in their houseboats on the White River for a number of years. And since our whole setting is, like, the 1920s, 1930s, and... There was all, I mean, it was a whole culture. These people were called river rats. There was sort of some contention between the people who lived on the river and the city, town folk. Um, and Helen's family was very like rough and tumble, but like distinguished in the river community. And anyways, her father one day at, on their property at their boat uh, was, was murdered um, in front of Helen. Uh, by some random guy, Jack Whirls, and there's a whole kind of history of where, why he ended up coming down and all of that, but she witnessed her father being murdered. She witnessed the guy taking her stepmother. He ended up beating the stepmother to the brink of death. She died as well, and and Helen got away, and then Jack Whirls, the, the murderer, the suspect or whatever, got caught relatively quickly and went to trial, and he... So he went to trial and Helen attended his trial and it was like 1920s, 1930s. She had on like her kind of Sunday best as you would. And she had like a muff. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the old timey hand warmer. Yeah, like, like the front of the waiters. <laughs> but yes, exactly. <laughs> but detached. So it's just like a little pocket. It's just a little women. patch of waiters. Yes. It's so true. So she had a muff that she wore to court and being the era that it was like, there wasn't high levels of security in small town <laughs> murder court. So she had a nice little handgun in her muff that she walked right in with. And when he went on stand, um, she, she pulled out her gun and shot and killed this dude in front of everyone. She's like the most badass thing ever. And she was like quoted as saying like, he killed my daddy and everyone freaked out and uh they got they got her i mean she went she was immediately like 
sent to prison and all this kind of stuff. And then the unfolding after that is that like she has multiple escapes from prison. She's finally out and done for this uh, crime, but then she's like ends up confessing to the murder of another man. But there's a whole thing about how he probably was like, you know, raping her and like just rough times. And the prison system was super corrupt and the younger female prisoners were being uh, sex trafficked around kind of a tri-state area. And so Helen was being abused in that way. Um, it's a crazy ass story. And it's all like based in this culture of these, these, these river rats, the riverboat community. And river rats is kind of like a derogatory uh, term that they were called, but it's part of our whole history and all that sort of thing. But yeah, this riverboat community and sort of like Southeastern and Eastern Arkansas on the White River. And so we are, I mean, we've been doing production on it for over a year now and we've got this badass trailer that's premiering on Wednesday and I'm super excited and we're gonna launch a Kickstarter to raise the last few thousand dollars to finish the production and finish the edit um, so we can like send this thing around to festivals and and like finish it. Well that sounds awesome. So that's a whole <laughs> oh, uh, other <laughs> yes absolutely and like that's a whole nother yeah whirlwind thing that's happening like all around the river, like ton, most of the production that's happened so far has been like shot on location at the White River in these little towns with where there's houseboats still standing and all this sort of stuff. Um, Denise Parkinson, who like brought this whole story to our attention, uh, wrote a book about it um, by the same name as our project, so Daughter of the White River. And she she was born in in the same area and her family also grew up in the houseboat community. So she's like, we have this awesome connection just through her too. But yeah, so we have like pictures of her family members, even like in super eight footage, like super old archival film footage of that, their family's like old. And we have some of them like with fish and stuff that I've been looking through. So that's been exciting for me. But yeah, just the fact that I'm getting to like be a part of this production of like a story about this super strong, independent, fearless woman, like in the face of so much corruption, like just being badass and doing it like on the river just feels very exciting for me and like so fitting and I get super into it and excited. Do you think at yeah. some point you'll be able to take the film stuff into the fishing world? Yeah, I definitely want to. And that's sort of been an ongoing plan and goal of mine for years now. I mean, I've been talking to you about this since right. before I even like had any production capacity and I was just getting into this field. And well, uh, at what point can you take it on your own? Like, I feel like for the most part, you generally work, you know, on other people's, okay. mm -hmm. you know, productions, but at what point does a filmmaker like break off and decide like I'm making this film and like I would hire other people yeah. or, or not, but yeah so yeah so to make a production of some quality like I couldn't do it a one-man show like especially I mean because when you're shooting a, a fishing film like you have to have the people doing the fishing and then the people doing the, the production the filming and that sort of stuff so even then I'm organizing it at, at minimum three people and like to make it good I would say it has to be like closer to four or five um but I feel like I'm getting closer to that. And the thing about all that is, and it doesn't really matter, the film project is like, you can go and make something anytime. But like, 
it's all dependent on yeah exactly it's kind of like if you're gonna get if you're gonna make something that people talk about and that that gets viewership and and has a potential to have backers and funding and interest and like basically if you're gonna make something that more than like your Instagram followers see you want to do you want to have a little bit more production in mind so whether you self-produce or go with a producer um you want a body of work and you also want some credibility to yourself. So a lot of what I've been doing, whether it's like working on a Hallmark movie or more exciting for me, like working on this, this documentary, like I'm kind of building a portfolio for myself of work I can point to and say like, Hey, I played this role on this. Hey, I played a really big role on this. Like this is the kind of work I can produce. And I'm also really fortunate because um, my boyfriend and sort of business partner works in the same industry as me and has been doing so for longer. Um, So he, he has a lot of resources that by, by proxy are belong to me as well. And, um, and so I'm able to plan things with him and this is a huge project that that started as his project and I've really jumped on and taken on a bigger kind of producer role and and so the exciting thing is that in the future I we and we've talked about this and and done a lot of talking about this that he would be willing to we flip roles and you know do a similar thing and put a lot of work in onto a project of mine and so and the other exciting thing about this one and a couple other projects I've been involved in this year is uh, we're doing things like crowdsourcing, fundraising, figuring out how to get financial backing. Um, and when I try to do something specific to, to fly fishing and outdoors, it's kind of a different set of, of people I'm, I'm asking for funding, but I think the basic scripts, the basic ways you go about that are similar. So I'm learning a lot there. Um, well, in crowdsourcing, it's exactly the same. Like you, you run a campaign and you figure out the best way and the best audience to target. Um, but like with fly fishing, there's brands, right? So I could look for literal sponsorship and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it feels a lot closer in my future because my big thing and Andy, my boyfriend feels similar is that we don't want to produce anything with our name on it that we don't like legitimately feel good about and there's there's like multiple different ways of going on it's like you can produce 10 shitty things for zero dollars and maybe eventually work your way up to someone noticing you um or you can like notice and be a part of projects that you know are going to do well and have your name attached to those and then you know take your turn um with both people resources all of that jumping onto your project and being like hey yeah i've seen these past three things you've been involved in that were super cool. I recognize your face in general in terms of production. And like, I, I, I feel confident working with you or giving you money or whatever the ask may be. So yeah, it's definitely something I want to do. I've also told you about like the Mayfly project, which is mm-hmm. a really cool thing. And a, another big part of Markham Park, the studio that we have here, um, the production studio that I um, I work at that's owned by my boyfriend, uh, a big goal and something that we've already started doing with all our work for the Girl Scouts and, and now this uh, big nationwide, worldwide campaign called Delivering Jobs. Um, we've kind of got a framework and we're going to start trying to go for big nonprofits and do like really big campaigns, um, video and multimedia campaigns. And and kind of the model of that that we'd like to do is like 
for every like $10,000 plus dollar job that we get, we want to donate a job to a nonprofit and that sort of stuff. That's and that's cool. something Andy's wanted to do since he started this whole uh, company and studio. And so a big one that we've talked about trying out first for multiple purposes is to donate a, a video to the Mayfly Project. So I've actually talked to the founder about doing a, like a paid video for him, but they don't have funds to pay very much. And so I was already like, yeah, I'll do it at a discounted rate and all that stuff. But we're like, well, why don't we just go ahead and donate one? And that'll give me specific, um, yeah, a lot of specific experience in producing a really well-produced video about fly fishing and also it, it works into this other model and thing that we're trying to do. So that's hopefully a thing that'll happen this spring that will, that will be my start into that. So, so is there, it, this is totally coming from like, I have, I have no idea. So this might be a really stupid question, but sure. when you try to get into like fly fishing film, is the like fly fishing film tour the kind of thing you're striving for or is that like a a low tier and you go and that's just for you know anyone who can submit a film and you know there's like an upper echelon above that that you strive for or is that like what the end result is it's like a film that would be in that and then you just continue to do one of those each year you know I've thought about that and it's interesting because and it's not like I've done a ton of research into like where I would go with it because I don't know. Part of me wants to to do work that's a little bit different than what's out there already. So that's one thing. It is, and it's hard to do that because with like it yeah. it's like with like eight films every year, you know, any new idea one year is just capitalized on the following year. Sure. So it's kind of hard to stick out. Mm-hmm. And so I've thought about that, and it's interesting because there's there's so many different like genres of like little short films that are really well produced like this coming out in just the outdoor world outdoor world and then like also beyond like everyone has like their niche that's becoming a film thing now and there's like a festival about it and all that stuff um and so the film the fly fishing film tour is definitely the biggest and the primary one in the states and so like that would definitely be a, a goal starting off as opposed to the international, is it the International Fly Fishing Film Festival? Yeah, yeah, there's that one too. But I mean, I think I would, I would, my first goal would definitely just be the Fly Fishing Film Tour, primarily because, I mean, even though those films are like so quick and you're seeing eight of them every year and they're being turned around, like those are high dollar films. And so if I can get like a couple of sponsorship backers to, to give me the funds to make that at my that would be like, it's just, it's a pre-cooked platform that seems accessible with like what I feel capable of doing, like assembling a team to do. And, uh, and then you immediately get viewership. Mm-hmm. So like, since that's, you know, probably the most well-known national platform in terms of us, anyone, everyone that I know in my fly fishing communities that would actually see it, it would be that one. That's what I would like go for first. And then, you know, beyond that, I'm not sure. Um, if I, if I, sure, you'd you'd think that you'd go for an international circuit, but there's also another, another way of thinking about it. Which, I mean, I have a lot of lofty goals, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. Um, but that I, there is like a life goal that I have, which is a, a sort of a nonprofit model that that's trying to do a lot within within fly fishing and. I might decide if I if I gain any footing with 
with the main fly fishing brands and that sort of thing that I might not try to just make fly fishing movies, you know, for long term, but that I might actually try to uh, be like, hey, now that you like this content I've produced, let me tell you about like my idea and see if you'd be interested in being a part of that and like help me make this whole uh, nonprofit with like properties where I could like, you know, spread fly fishing and primarily like guiding skills to like a wider variety of people, like give more, um, a more diverse group of people the opportunity to, to be a part of our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very summarized version of what I want to do with this nonprofit. But I thought, hey, this, this film thing is already a thing I love. It's a thing I'm gaining more and more experience in. And I would love to, I have lots of ideas for fly fishing content and films that I would want to make. So it's not like I would make one and then like branch over to this other thing. But instead of that being like, oh, I will be like the premiere fly fishing filmmaker in the world. That's not really an end goal for me so much as it is that I want to make really good content. I want to make content that stands out and is meaningful and feels like it's coming from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because just like the industry of fly fishing, I think the industry, and just like the industry of fly fishing and the industry of filmmaking, the industry of filmmaking about fly fishing even more so is very male dominant. And while uh, a few are starting to at least feature women a little bit more, the the crew, the people behind the scenes are are very heavily male. Right. And and having a woman in it is like the thing. Like it's not like I wanna go and I you know, of yeah. course I wanna see women in film, but I don't want it to be like the topic of this film is that there's a woman. I want it to be like, yeah. this is the exact same topic that you would have had with a dude, but it happens to be about a woman and that's not a comment. Like there's no comment about that. It's just how it is. It yeah. You know? no, and that's kind of the same way as having like a director. Yeah, it's the whole theme. It's the whole through line of the film. It's just like, a woman is fishing? (laughs) Oh, my God. And so, yeah, obviously, like, I wouldn't want my content to look like that. But I also would want my content to stand out somewhat from everything that's from a male perspective. So that's tricky to figure out. And I've done a lot of thinking on that. And yeah, and beyond that, with my end goal in mind, it's like, I just want to diversify the voices within the industry of fly fishing be it like the media that comes out or like literally the people teaching you how to do it etc the people making the the products involved all of it like I think with a more diverse uh group of people doing being that core industry like you're gonna just you're just gonna have more ideas every it's gonna feel more approachable and that's to me, the whole point, like I, I would much rather fly fishing feel like a more approachable, accessible thing, as opposed to this super elitist thing that it's been for a long time. Uh, because I've been really fortunate to not have to, had to take that approach and to be able to take a much more, you know, uh, how, how can I phrase this? I think, I mean, we've talked about this a lot and you know what I mean? It's just like our, both of our access into fly fishing was really unique and kind of like scrappy and didn't at all feel um didn't feel exclusive and it and it also did in a couple of ways but you kind of got to claw your way into it at that point yeah yeah and so I just I want to make it I want to make it this thing that people can try and obviously not everyone's going to become obsessed with it like we have but it just feels like the majority of people are like, oh, well, I can't even try that. Even just like the people 
in Mountain View, Arkansas, which is like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I've always wanted to try fly fishing, but like, yeah, I, you know, I'm not fancy or whatever. There's just such that air about it. Whenever I talk to people, they, they suddenly, yeah, feel kind of intimidated. And I'm like, I want to change that, you know, like right. it's not intimidating. Like you can do it with base level gear. Like it's, it's about spending the time and having the interest and care to do it. Well, I think the problem is that like, once you know how to do it, so like once you're in our position, it looking back on it, you're like, it's so easy to get started. You know, like it's not as intimidating as it looks, Mm -hmm. but thinking back to when I was in that place, I remember it being very intimidating and it's, it's crazy once you get it and you're like, okay, you know, I had these way different expectations of how hard it was going to be than it actually was Mm -hmm. and so it's like I'm simultaneously trying to convince people that it's not that bad to start but I remember being in that position where it seemed that bad to start and that's actually one of the issues I've had with the fly fishing film tour and I don't know if you felt the same way is that and it's I go back and forth because on one hand, of course, you want to go see like incredible footage in incredible places and catching species that you've never even heard of. But at the same time, like I don't really feel connected to watching someone like in the Seychelles catch a bunch of fish like I can't afford to go catch. And my favorite films in the film tour are almost always like we went to Montana and fished this river. And it's like I think there's just something about like, yeah, I've fished for trout a thousand times. But knowing that this is accessible to me, like I could do this um, and without that much money, it makes me enjoy it more because I can like feel I could put myself in the, that person's shoes. And I'm kind of sick of seeing places that I can't afford to go, honestly. I, I agree. It's like fun to see little glimpses of that or see like exotic fish where you can like imagine for a second, you're like, whoa, what would that be like? Maybe mm-hmm. when I'm 55 and I've, you know, done my life's work, like I'll go on one trip, you know, but it's like, yeah, it's super removed from like the majority. And we're still like of a very privileged group of people. And even for us, we're like, well, yeah, that ain't ever going to freaking happen. So, um, so even, yeah, just even, yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing that I'm trying to do with with anything I put out is just like, yeah, making it feel, and and yeah, the, the projects that I'd want to do first are like something in Estes Park, Colorado, where I actually know what I'm talking about. And I didn't, didn't just go on a two week long trip and figure a couple things out and like make it look sexy. I'm like, the stuff that's more interesting to me in these films is like the stories. It's like, right. the ch- and if it is a trip to a new place, like, tell me about the story. To tell me about the people doing this. Like, how'd you what, find like, it? What'd make you, me yeah. feel like I could have gone along with you and, and been a part of this. And, and they do different levels of a good job on that and all the films that I've seen thus far but but yeah there's something about accessibility and about just feeling like oh this is a world I could enter into and it's like we're already in this world but like watching that as someone who's not like yeah that's great you're just like okay well that's really pretty and cool but like I couldn't I'm never a part I'm never going to be a part of that and I, I would like to see that broaden and change and like that stuff can still happen and I'm not saying that territory shouldn't be explored and horizons broadened but I think I think there's just this huge missing piece of like most of humanity that's not getting to have access to this this beautiful uh, practice that we we know and love so much. And it's just like the the basics of it are are simple. They're there, and they shouldn't be as intimidating as they are. And that we you know they were to us as well. It's just I, that's that's a thing that I would I would work to change with whatever I put out there and on 
on fishing any sort of media. Right. And I think there's a way to do it where you can. So, for example, I, you know, I don't necessarily need to see someone catch, you know, some crazy saltwater fish in some crazy expensive destination another time. But I also can see why people get bored seeing trout because it's like what you always fish for. But there doesn't seem to be much of a happy medium where I'm like, well, why don't you go somewhere else in the U.S.? that's totally affordable, but you catch some species that no one thinks of. Like, oh, we went to, you know, somewhere on the East Coast and caught bowfin. You know, yeah. like, anyone can afford this, and it still seems like an exotic species because, you know, so many people don't know it's even out there. Um, just, like, fishing for something that's exotic but local. Yeah. You know, well, it feel, yeah. feels exotic, I guess. Yeah, fish for, like, the regional thing that everyone in yeah. the state or area fishes for, but, like, most of the rest of the nation doesn't have access to or think about, you know? And it's or like, I yeah, don't even it, feel like I've seen a bass fish. show in I the agree. fly fishing field tour. Like, and fly fishing for bass is pretty big in a lot of places. Yeah. And- freaking blast and so it's really interesting but like yeah the the media it seems to be either trout or exotic foreign land and that's like really the, the two that have just been pounded into the ground and so i think that's a really good point and i think you'd get people that i mean bass fishing itself is just a huge industry i feel like you get people who like to bass fish and are like i've no, i have no idea what fly fishing is i'll but i'll go watch this because it's bass and then That's you get true. people who are interested and start talking about it. Maybe they share it with their friends in the bass fishing, you know, community. I don't know. I I just don't see why there there's like these two ends of the spectrum, but they're the only ends that you can do, like trout and exotic. But that's just my rant of the fly fishing film tour. No, I agree. We we've had a few in the past, but um, one second, I'm gonna turn on the light because it's okay. getting dark in here. Uh, should we move on to the actual like what we we're gonna talk about? Yeah. I, know, I was like I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, we've been doing a couple of paths. Well, I was thinking, I was like, we could just do like a film, a film one only, and yeah. then move on to stories. But the the yeah. main point was supposed to be rehashing some of our favorite stories. Yeah, um, yeah. I I wrote down a couple that I want to definitely talk about. I don't know if you had ones in mind, uh, but I narrowed it down. Like we we talked okay. about it via text, like yeah. you know, all the ones we've done, and I think the common thread amongst the three on our list is that they all involved something really stupid you're like <laughs> we did something really stupid like, we, gotta, we gotta fucking try this like well, the three i have oh, what do you have so yeah i have golden trout and then a couple spots in rocky mountain national park with big cutthroats mm-hmm. and the three of them um obviously with golden trout it was the whole thing was just stupid um also the the hiking in at like midnight with a bottle of whiskey and having to pitch the tent right on the trail uh light lightning and hail um for for uh some of the other ones and then uh the bear attack Mm -hmm. so i'm just like uh is it coincidental that all of my favorite ones involved what felt like a near-death experience at some point or another um. it's it's the same and I'm not gonna like try to completely bring it back into like fil- the film conversation but it's the same thing we's all- we've always talked about um about how like still probably probably one of my very top favorite fly fishing films is Eastern Rises because it's like it's a fucking story and like things go so wrong and people get shit-faced and it's like and you f- make memories with like your people and that's like what makes it what takes it past being like this really amazing peaceful thing you get to do in nature which is like one thing and sometimes that's what you want what you go for and why you go on your own but I feel like when I do these trips when I do like planned fishing trips with with another person or with a group of friends like that's what you're looking for is you're looking 
to, to get crazy. You're looking for that thing that's going to go wrong and that you're going to talk about literally for the rest of your lives because you cannot believe that you went through that. And, and so, yeah, I think that's why those are like our most memorable stories beyond like the incredible fish that we ended up finding and getting to catch together. But, but it's like the things that go wrong are, are just as, just as much of a reason as why we tell those stories and why we remember them and like so fondly, even though at times we felt like we were gonna, going to literally die. Right, Eastern <laughs> Rises, like you feel like you kind of know those guys. I think that's why I like that one is you can, that's one of the few that's exotic, really exotic, really expensive to get to, and you still somehow feel like you could be there. You're like, oh, I could, I could go do that because you could see yourself in that group and a lot of it's not about the fishing. And even the way they set it up where they're like, well, we did these travel plans and we traveled like a bunch of bums. And then we slept in this one tiny hotel and the longest, the tallest one of us slept like across the whole apartment, like little things like that, where you're like, yeah, if I ever did any expensive fishing trip, I'd have to go with like 50 friends and we'd have to sleep in like a one bedroom to afford it. But (laughs) it's like stack on top of each other while we sleep. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm there. Like I, I know that level, like I've kind of done that, like thinking to like the Sasquatch house or like the old haciendas where literally we had someone sleeping in the kitchen all summer long, you know, I, I totally know what that looks like. And it's like, as grungy as it is, and as happy as I am that like, maybe I'm not sleeping in a kitchen anymore in life, like, or that I personally ever had to, but like, God, those are the best memories. And like, those are the years of guiding that we look upon the most fondly and like talk about as like, that was the best year. And right, like you didn't that. need much. Yeah. You just needed a bed in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. There we go. Um, which one did you want to talk about first? What do you think? I mean, we could go in chronological order. Sure. Let's go in okay. chronological. So first one was, I don't know. Uh, it was probably three, four years ago. And I forgot this part of this. This wasn't actually like we were in danger, but of course it was just the first, like the first nail in the coffin of many nails in the coffin that day when we woke up at like four in the morning and opened the door and someone had left the garage door open and a bear had come in and destroyed the entire garage and opened the <laughs> fridge, took everything, but I think it was honey mustard and maybe one beer and everything else was destroyed and we we opened it and we're like we probably should help clean this up (laughs) but (laughs) we're going fishing so we just sent a text to everyone else being like bear got in the garage (laughs) yeah so so it's got to get this (laughs) no i had completely forgotten that that was that day trip because it was one of those hikes where you have to leave at like three in the morning so we did it, and then we see our entire garage, shared garage with all our mates destroyed by a bear, and it, like, wasn't the first time this has happened, and we definitely had gone to bed early, early, so we were like, well, we didn't leave the damn garage door open, <laughs> so sorry. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, so then we, we sent out that text and promptly turn on airplane mode so we don't have to hear back, um, <laughs> get to the trail, and the hike itself wasn't terrible. I mean, it was a, I think we figured out it was like 13 round trip, 13 or 14 round trip. Mm-hmm. Um, hike itself, uh, for the first mm, nine tenths of the hike in was like fine. You know? And we talked about it on, on at the end, kind of that the way in did not feel 
long. We, yeah, we can talk about it when we talk about the way out, but like it didn't. The way out. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you, you got winded. Like you're above tree line a good majority. For like six miles. Of we started super high up, but like we were excited. Conditions were good. And like, it just didn't seem to take that long. It didn't seem to be that Mm-mm. strong like compared to like what we were doing on regularly the whole summer anyways probably one of the short well not the shortest but one of the least memorable six miles not in terms of i mean the views were good but it was just like an easy six miles and we were above above tree line but it was just it it rolled on normally i feel like we were just trucking like we had a destination in mind Mm. kind of hike so like we weren't really focused on the hike itself as much that tends to be the case when i'm going to a new place yeah. We've seen wildlife. I remember we saw some like deer. We saw some elk. We mm-hmm. saw ptarmigan mm-hmm. uh, and tons of marmots. So the ptarmigan was cool. Right. We were in a great mood. Mm-hmm. So then it's time for us to cut off the trail. And we're like, it's fine. According to the map, it's just a nice little flat walk over here. And then we'll drop down to the lake. So as we're walking along, we see one of the lakes. And we're like, is that it? And we're like, no, it's not it. But let's eat lunch here. So we have a nice lunch overlooking a different lake. Then we continue along the ridge and look down upon our lake and realize that there's not really an easy way down. Um, So we can either add what, like probably a mile or two on and walk. The ridge starts to descend down to kind of meet the the valley floor. So we could walk down the side and then basically walk right back to where we are, but lower down. Mm-hmm. Um, or we could just go straight down the hillside. Of course, we chose to go straight down the hillside. <laughs> and we were like, fuck it. We're only carrying giant packs with loaded down with waders and fishing packs. And like I had, we both did. We had like our overnight packs and they were pretty stuff. We had everything but like tents and sleeping bags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause also, you know, I mean, we had enough stuff that we probably could have spent the night out there if we had to. Um, just because you are like seven miles in. And so. I remember us talking about it because initially, I mean, we would have liked to just go ahead and overnight it, but like, A, that would have meant a lot more weight and B, like we didn't have the permit and that sort of thing. And like, we were like, right. well, like, should we try it? And we're like, well, I guess if we have to, like we have to, and that can be our explanation. Right, if the weather, yeah, if the weather kept us there, yeah. which frankly, it nearly did because yeah. that was that was the portion of this one that I was going to call real dumb. Yeah. Because there's something that makes you feel safe when you're in a valley surrounded by really tall mountains. And then you realize that the valley, it's not really a valley. It's a basin, I guess. Yeah. The basin itself is still at like probably 11,000 feet. Um, and you're like, so this is not particularly safe, even though there's a bunch of tall mountains around us. Yeah. We um, are still like entirely exposed. And I feel like the fishing in this one isn't that, like, I don't want to say it's not memorable. I mean, we caught real big fish, but... Mm-hmm the for example golden trout the fish was a big part of it and Mm -hmm. even elsewhere in the national park the fish have been a big part of it fish were a big part of this but i feel like more so it was the fact that we counted that we got rained on i want to say like seven separate times throughout the course of we only fished there for two or three hours and i feel like each time that it rained it thundered it hailed yeah like it it was it was thunderstorm lightning storm situations multiple times and I'm like huddled in, a, in the trees off the side of the lake. And every time I like creep back out, I'm like, I think it's gone. A new one would start. Mm-hmm. And it happens so many different times. And eventually it's time for us to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to climb back up the hill. And that's that. I feel like that's when everything just fell apart. Well, yeah. it didn't fall apart. I mean, the, Even, I mean, it was wrong, but. Just bringing us back to like getting down the hill. 
the fact that it, it looked so close and we were at that point, like in really good spirits and had relatively a lot of energy left. And like the storms were maybe just starting to roll in, but like really hadn't yet. Maybe I don't really feel like the storms had rolled in yet. No, they started like halfway through our actual fishing. Yeah. So not to, not to overlook the actual fishing. Like we caught, we caught real nice cutthroats. Um, Yeah. At that time, I think that was by easily the nicest cutthroat that I had ever caught. Same. And so I was just like freaking thrilled, but but even just the descent down, I think that's when I started to like get a little more like not discouraged. Like I was still in really high spirits and super excited to get started fishing. And when we like saw the first big fish and all that, and we caught one and like, that was great. But I just remember that descent taking impossibly long time and feeling super freaking sketchy and the whole time down discussing what, what way we were going to come back up. Cause there was no way in hell we could come back up that way. And like, just the way down was was difficult and it's like you know that if you're going down and it's difficult like that's some like very steep ridiculous terrain right i remember my my ankles hurt because we had to sidestep we couldn't walk straight we had to sidestep and you'd sidestep enough in the same direction that it would start to wear on you so you'd have to turn and face the other way so we were just constantly like facing sideways one person behind the other (laughs) yeah and there's like a lot of loose ground and i mean again just like off balance because of heavy packs like it was it was not pleasant but then going back up, which took us, it took us like an hour and a half, I think, to go probably, you know, as the crow flies distance, maybe an eighth of a mile. It was just yeah. an eighth of a mile that was straight up. And we were on hands and hands and knees crawling up this hillside while the, like, the hail starts back up and another storm's rolling in. And it's like, great, we're stuck between being down in this valley for, you know, indefinite amount of time with storms rolling in. Or we climb to the top to get out and have to get on top of a mountain to leave, yeah. which is not and ideal. Exposed and right. above feeling for the next five miles. miles. <laughs> and that's when I remember being the most scared. I have like a few different instances, all of them hiking related, most of them also fishing related, where I literally was like, okay, well, I might die and like, here are my different decisions I can make. And even if I make any of them, like I might die. Like there wasn't like an option that was like, well, if I make this decision, I won't die. Like there was, there was no option that was fully safe. And so it was just like kind of navigating that as two people and that gets tense. And like, we didn't like have any sort of like stuff between us, but I just, we just were tense and we were focused and we were freaking exhausted and we were literally like fearing for our lives and I remember a couple different discussions of like should we like get under this rock outcropping or should we move as fast as we can upward or like what's the decision like just each of those little decisions Mm -hmm. we're working our way up feeling so like important because it was like both of these sound pretty bad which one sounds less bad safer yeah well and that's the problem like for example I know you're not supposed to get under rocky outcroppings during a lightning storm because lightning doesn't care but it's like okay i could get under the rocky outcropping or i could just not get under the rocky outcropping i feel like i'm equally in danger when you're there and you're on this like 90 degree angle fucking thing there's no trees up and it's lightning around you and you see a rocky outcropping you're like my literal like instincts are pulling me to that little outcropping like i can still remember one specific me too that I like looked at and I was just like, I want to stay there forever. <laughs> like yeah, and- I know in my logical head that I'm not any safer there, but I want to get in there and I don't want to leave. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like if, if you can get under that or get into like, 
you know, a level forest at a safe elevation, obviously choose that. But if it's like, I'm going to stand out and be a flagpole on yeah. the side of a mountain or get under the rocky outcropping and at least die dry, I'm going to do that. <laughs> uh, and then, and then what's, and then it was funny is like, once we made it through that, we got to the top, the sky, the sun came out and we had a fun. normal hike back and the hike back seemed super long, but it was fine. I mean, it was it sunny. Did. And I think the thing that saved us was just the fact that the, the weather cleared. And so we were just like in a way better spirits. We we're like, oh, this is great. I remember we stopped for some really pretty pictures and like saw some marmots and shit. And I just remember being exhausted, but being like happy. You know, well, yeah, I mean, I'd rather be exhausted. We did it. We made it there. We caught the fish we wanted to catch. Like at that point, you know, you're like, I made it. I didn't die. Right. And you're happy to like be approaching the end and like some reprieve. But yeah, I do remember that hike back taking. It's like certain hikes, it doesn't happen. And then certain hikes, it feels like the hike down takes three times as long. And that one was one of those. Yeah. Maybe it's because we already spent an hour and a half climbing up a hill that, that gave us no distance. It only gained us elevation that we then had to lose again. And like, it's like, not only were we physically spent, but we were like, super tense that whole hike out because of the lightning storm. So that that like drains you in a really big way, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pivot off that. And I'm going to go to Golden Trout, um, which we don't need to give a, a play-by-play of the entire thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've talked about it enough. But as, just as a quick summary, we found out that there was a small population of Golden Trout way back in a wilderness area of Colorado. And we decided to try to go find it and see if there were any fish there. And we had a three-day weekend to do it, I think. Uh, I think that's yes. right. Yeah. Uh, or was it a two-day weekend? Did we go? Well, it was th- like, because we went. Yes, it was a three-day weekend. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the reason I was going to pivot to that is, um, were you more scared in the lightning storms in Rocky Mountain National Park, or the night that we hiked in and encountered something along <laughs> the trail? And just as a backstory, we had gotten to the trailhead at like eleven thirty p.m. and we're all super gung ho. We're very excited. We grab a bottle of whiskey and we're like, okay. It's about a 10-mile hike in. We're going to start the hike now and ideally get like four or five miles in tonight. So when we wake up, it's just a quick little hike up to where we're going to camp. And it's going great for like the first mile and a half. (laughs) I think that's about how far we got. We were just enough into the whiskey to be having a great time. And then we come up into this meadow and immediately our our headlamps shine on a pair of eyes. (laughs) And... We're like, okay, it's it's either a bear and it's going to run off or it's something else that's going to run off. Um, so we start yelling at it and it doesn't go away. It just starts coming toward us. I just, yeah. And I remember <laughs> that you, you first shined on it and you were like, hey. And so, and then I brought it to my attention and it gave, you know, like that initial immediate, like gut feeling of like, fuck eyes looking well, at like, Yeah. You I just know, don't like seeing eyes. <laughs> yeah. Eyes in general pitch darkness. And so you're originally like, fuck, but you're like, all right, well, you know, I, I, this has happened before. It had happened the same summer fairly, on a trip that we shared. It had happened to us when we were approaching the campsite uh, when we had the bear issue. And so in that scenario, and I had, it had been like, not that long. It had been like less couple than a couple months. Between those two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Had it. Maybe, well, uh, yeah. Like it was 
July to September, I think. It was a, within a recent enough period of time that I, I thought back to that and I was like, well, those were way closer eyeballs and I clapped and screamed and they ran away. So it, my immediate Let's reaction, just clap and scream again. <laughs> yeah, like, it's going to be great. We'll spook it off. And it just did not budge. And that was the moment once we did the the whole clapping and screaming and like not, not a single flinch from And then we realized dogs. that we were like completely unprepared because like that was clearly <laughs> our only plan of action here was clapping and screaming. And when that didn't work, we're yeah. just like, well, I guess, I guess we're that dead. Is, that is when my <laughs> stomach like sunk to my, into my like butt. And I was like, well, I'm going to die tonight. Even though like, this thing was probably like a fox <laughs> but, oh my God. but we couldn't we couldn't tell how far away it was and occasionally it would turn we couldn't see the eyes anymore and they pop up somewhere else and we're just like this thing is you know uh, it's and honestly, changing forms <laughs> and it who knows i could have been in my head at this point but we did talk about this after is that like when it did start to move something about the way it moved even though again all you can see is the eyes lit up but the way it moved did not feel like a bear it did not it felt feline you know it like my brain initially went or like that's when my brain switched to switched to mountain lion or something feline or because because of the way it moved slowly and and kind of like smoothly and assuredly right i think Um, you picture like a coyote is like more of a trot you know they they, they kind of trot and stop and trot and stop and even a bear i don't it, it doesn't trot but i feel like it, uh, it's more of a lumbering, and I and feel like these eyes were a very level, smooth. They were level and smooth, and the thing about it was, and this is what I've thought back to, is that they stayed on us, but they moved sideways. They didn't move towards us or away from us. It was it was stalking. It was moving. It was perimetering us and staring at us. Yeah, the, the face stared at us, but the body specific. moved. That right. felt very specific, and that is what had me... Yeah, pretty terrorized, pretty much like, okay, like, I have these trekking poles, like, how am I going to fight back, like, with what I have on me, like, I was trying to make a game plan in my head, we were kind of having a little bit of back and forth, like, dialogue between us, but we were both clearly, like, doing this in our brains and, like, trying to think fast of, like, what the fuck are we going to do if it starts coming towards us? Yeah, and I remember our, once you realized that our one and only plan of screaming at it was not going to work. We grabbed, I'm like, oh, I've got pepper spray, not bear spray, just pepper spray (laughs) that I had never tested before. And I was like, well, I guess this is the time to learn how to use it. So I expected a cloud of pepper spray. And I don't know if this is because pepper spray works differently than bear spray or because it was just really old and the product had gone bad, but it came out in like a squirt. (laughs) And I'm like, Great. So when this thing comes up, I've got to like squirt it in the eyes. <laughs> I can't like spray it out in a large cloud. Um, and so I think we grabbed trekking poles and made like a barricade. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, you st- you stop it with the pole, and I will squ- spritz it in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan here. And as yeah. we made that plan, I was like, okay, so if I die tonight, like. <laughs> How I feel um, about that, and I'm sure the the half bottle of whiskey had played a role in this. Yeah, um, and then eventually they disappeared. But every once in a while they'd reappear, but just in a different spot of the circle around us. You know, um, and at one point they were on the trail in front of us, and, and we're like, remember, "Well, there goes our last plan of walking away from this thing on the trail." There, yeah, there was a moment where they were on the trail right in front of us, and I remember a very brief 
it probably took like two steps towards us, but there was that sense of it getting closer. And that was the scariest couple of seconds for me. Um, do you remember that moment? Uh, I, I, remember I don't remember it specifically on the trail, but I, I do remember it coming at us at one point. Towards us. It may not have been on the trail in the moment, but like it was pretty much mm -hmm. in front of where we were headed. It was still in that direction. And there was one moment where it like got a little closer and that was the scariest moment. Cause I was like, you know, like if this continues this way, like, okay, like get ready. Like we're about to fight whatever this is. And like, I, we don't even know we have, it's pitch dark. We have whiskey in us. Like we've never been in this place in the daylight. We have no idea of our surroundings at all, you know? Well, so that was another factor never really that we had right? an issue like hiking in at night before. I mean, we're not in grizzly country, so you're not really that concerned. So at this point, <laughs> we decide the only plan of action is to pitch the tent on the trail right where we're standing because it's in front of us on the trail and we're not about to lose progress we've made by going back down the trail so we just drop our backs and pitch the tent right there on the trail yeah and well just... and i remember aside from not losing progress i remember thinking like if it is any sort of predator larger animal I ain't about to fucking start walking when it can see me and I can't see it. Yeah, I'm not gonna turn around. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so I think we just ditched. I, I think we ditched our food, thinking, you know, let's not have food in here if it's a bear. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I think we had a bear canister. Yeah, we did. And so we put the bear canister elsewhere, and then ran back out in the tent and went to bed and just forgot about it. And of course, everything turned out fine because <laughs> um, it was probably like. A raccoon. <laughs> it was not a raccoon. No, it wasn't. I don't even know if they have raccoons up there. Who knows? But um, yeah, like it, it definitely. Well, I, I was still trying to think of like the answer to your question of whether I was more scared in that scenario or it, with the weather. I really don't know. Like, it's probably just pretty similar because it's one of those situations where you're like, well, chances are I'm gonna make it out of this fine. But in the moment, you're like, but not thinking that the chance also it there is also a chance that like I'm about to die and it's gonna be brutal and like who knows who's gonna find me like right it, it's either gonna be the situation where I die and my good friend has to deal with that in the middle of fucking nowhere or we both die and then like we never get found and we get like beaten. <laughs> I think I think in the moment I was more terrified during the animal encounter like there was just more just pure terror running through me but the lightning one seemed like a more real threat where or the animal i didn't actually think we were gonna die it was more just like this is terrifying well and it's the whole thing of it being pitch dark and having right. eyeballs looking at you it's just like the yeah it's the difference of of the lightning it's not the unknown it's just like the well, shit, i have no like, control over a bad it. spot and with this one it's just the complete unknown the complete unknown of like this could be a fox or this could be something that wants to kill me and it's yeah. in its prime hours for doing so like and i think the problem with the lightning is that you feel like you have no control over it once you're i mean once you're up there there's nothing you can do um with the animal at least you're like well Odds are, it's probably not going to take on two people at once. And if it does, two people at once can probably handle it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the lightning, it's like, th there's nothing you can do. You just got to. And so it's, it's more of like a helpless feeling. Yeah, I think I agree with you where I was more scared with the animal encounter. But I was like, 
more like it's more ominous about the fact that I might die with the lightning. It was just like a, I think more generally in danger with the lightning. And that's also a situation I've been in more than just that one time. And, mm. and I, I take precautions and we do the thing where we start at three in the morning. And even with that, it's like, if you're going to live this lifestyle and do these kinds of trips, that's just something you end up facing time, you know? And it's like, you like people talk about the things you can do, but like, if you're that exposed, like there's a certain level of like, you can't really do anything to ensure that you're going to be okay. And that's just, one of the things that comes with the territory you know this is this is why i get annoyed when people talk about the odds of you getting struck by lightning or being eaten by a shark or whatever because when people are like oh you're more likely to such and such than be eaten by a shark and i'm like well yeah i have a zero percent chance of being eaten by a shark because i don't live on the coast and i'm not in the ocean yeah um and someone who lives in Florida and goes swimming every day has a much higher chance of getting eaten by a shark. And when they talk about like, oh yeah, you're you're more likely to whatever than get struck by lightning. And I'm like, yeah, in, you know, St. Louis, that's the case. But when you're right. up in the high country all the time, your odds are way different. And I don't like those statistics because they feel very misleading. <laughs> it's true. I agree with that. And like beyond that, it's things like that year, a couple of years back on Trail Ridge Road, where two days in a row, lightning bolts killed like multiple people at a time. Oh, I didn't even know that. I, and I'm like, yeah, that happened. I want to say it was two or three summers ago. There was on the U trail, like the Trail Ridge Road trail that's above tree line, that's super accessible, at least to get to the start of and all that. Like, there was big lightning bolts and I think like one of them killed like five people. It was like, really? I did not hear that at all. And then literally the next day, another lightning bolt killed like another couple people in the same general, like Trebridge road area. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, people aren't, aren't understanding because people have been fed that same statistic of like, you're not going to get like the odds are really low that you get struck and all this stuff. But it's like, and I know like there's like rangers and stuff are trying to be informative, but I, yeah, I just feel like there's this misconception or people don't understand exposure when they're above tree line because it's just a completely different story and people die from lightning like every year in this pretty relatively small national park. Like it's real, real scary and fucked up. To be fair, we were those people too. Like we were, we were above tree line. No, I, no. No, I know. And that's what I'm saying is like, that's one thing. And we're doing that. But we're doing that with the knowledge and by choice. Whereas I feel like some people just don't know. Because if I was on Trail Ridge Road and I was, you know. You have like the safety of being like, oh, I'm I'm on a paved road. I don't feel in danger. Yeah. If I was a little ways from my car and, you know, weather rolled in, I would run to my car, you know, like. Mm -hmm. You, like if I'm faced with the same scenario we're talking about, yeah, where my options are keep going on the psych or run to my car, like I run to my car because I'm aware of the stakes. And, and you feel safer because you've got that, just having the paved road and having a car nearby, you're like, oh, I'm safe. But it's like it's, lightning's not going to give you 20 seconds to yeah. run to your car. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the rest. <laughs> so once we didn't die from the from the animal that probably wanted nothing to do with us anyway. That meant that meant that the next day we had like eight and a half miles to go instead of the like five we had hoped for, which is fine, except that most of it was off trail and most of it was not marked correctly on the map. 
because and we like went a little bit further pat like we like kind of got lost for a while and like went further than we needed to go on the trail and like went onto a different piece of trail yeah there were there were trails that existed in the, in the real world that were not in the map and vice versa there were ones that did not exist in the real world that were on the map yes so we're just like basically holding the map out Free walking <laughs> yeah just like walking with the map in front of our eyes yeah um took a terrible route up there like because we, we had to pick our own route and we picked yeah. the wrong one i mean talking about exhausting hikes like just nothing compares to this hike and i just remember all the times like the the like scree and the rock scrambles were exhausting but nothing compares to the freaking sections of forest that were untrailed because the down trees down tree after down tree after down tree and not only are you going uphill steadily not only do we have however many pounds of overnight gear on our backs and fishing gear but we are climbing over a large down tree every couple steps and the tree while going steeply uphill right because the brush and everything and the tree is uphill of you so what a tree that's already about four feet in diameter is now placed above you so now you have to crawl you have to climb up the trunk to get over it with yeah. the i don't know probably 40 i don't know 40 pounds of gear on the back yeah i have i have no idea how much I, I don't either i never know um, more yeah. than i wanted to be climbing over trees with when i guide people with just like day packs that have waders and then they're always like so what do we have like 80 pounds <laughs> <laughs> like roughly 80 pounds i just always kind of been like yeah 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 probably just high moment <laughs> yeah so you get up there and the next day we it was so we're, we're camped at, we're camped at a lake and we're like okay there may be fish in this lake don't see any rises take a couple casts don't catch any fish and we're like let's try to find an inlet or an outlet mm-hmm we go, we see what looks like an inlet on the map and we walk to it and we're like, this is not an inlet. This is a swamp <laughs> and we don't see any outlet. And we're like, this lake is dead. There's nothing in here, which to be fair, I don't think there was, no. but we finally find the outlet and we follow it down and we fish the stream and fish it and fish it and fish it. And there's no fish. We're like, well, this was a bust of there's, a 10 mile yeah. hike. Um, and then we find, we walk, we walk upon this, um, pool and there's a tree in the pool there's just a tree that's fallen down in the pool i remember the tree that was laying down in the pool and a single fish darted under the tree and i'm pretty sure we screamed and like dropped our stuff because yeah, we both saw we're it. so excited um but we're like well let's go downstream of here and fish our way back up to it to give that section a chance to rest mm-hmm. so we walk probably a half mile down and then just get back into catching nothing like there's just nothing down there mm-hmm. um fish the whole way back up to this pocket and then catch that fish out of the pocket. Yeah. And then there's then there's like three or four more bends that we find and they fish in. Have fish, like a a fish or two fish. Yeah, like one or two fish, and then that's it. And then you keep going up to the lake, and there's nothing. And it seems like there are, and these are golden trout. Yeah, it was this very specific section that was a little more open, and they were just super slow, relatively for how narrow they were, deep pockets and it's like only water that held anything it's like this population of probably 20 fish has just been living in this i don't know 100 yard section of yeah stream and they don't go up or down they just sit right there 
they weren't puny. They were good enough size. They seemed perfectly well fed. Like, By like eight to 12 inches. Yeah. Yeah. None of them were small. They were all about the same range of size. Like they seemed probably all the similar. And they all turned on and off together. Mm -hmm. So we would, we caught, we caught a couple. We didn't catch a ton. Mm -hmm. I'd say we, over the course of our day and a half fishing there, we caught like maybe six to eight. Total, yeah. If that, um, but when we first got there, we caught probably the first five and then it just stopped. Yeah. I mean like the first, the first one we saw you caught and then the next one we saw I caught, like you would just see one, catch it, move on. And then that was about it. Like, it yeah. Would... And then they all just disappeared. They, and they wouldn't, they couldn't bring them back out for anything. Mm-hmm. So then we had a fire. Um, the, I mean, the night was fairly uneventful. Mm-hmm. Had a fire. Um, next day, tried to fish some more. I think we caught like one the next day. And again, they all turned off. And yeah, then... the next day wasn't a lot, but it's because like we, we pounded what there was. Like, it's not a big stock. You don't want to yeah. like destroy it. And then, but we did have the one, the one thing I enjoyed about the second day was that was the day that we had seen one like big one the day before. And I had taken a cast to it because we saw it again the second day. Mm-hmm. I took a cast to it and it took my fly, but th- I mean, the section of stream is probably like two feet wide mm-hmm. and deep. And it yeah. took it and then immediately ran it under a log that had clearly fallen, but then gotten covered up by like land. So the log was just like coming out from the shore on one side, crossing the um, stream and then going basically back underground. Yeah. And it ran under that, broke the line. And I was like, well, that sucks. Um, And then, I don't know, half hour later, I took another cast and caught a fish and then it it had my fly in its mouth. It was was that. that, (laughs) It was that. And that was the biggest one. Yeah. That was was probably one that we saw. Right. Probably about a foot long or so. Yeah. Not not huge, but. Um, so that was, a, that was fun yeah. and I got my fly back and everything. And then we headed down and the trip down on that one was a lot more enjoyable than the way up. Like I, as opposed to the last one we talked about where it was like the way in was fine. The way out w- was awful. This one, I thought the way out, we picked a better route out. Um, yeah, we, we had done of, it. We also just knew what we had ahead of us and it's not like it wasn't hard and terribly exhausting. But it's just like we knew what we had ahead of us and also like this was just so much more of a like all-in adventure where we were literally like well we might find them or literally not see a fish and we had like found them and so like they're just like you're hyped up yeah that was gonna break our spirits at that point and and like yeah we'd encountered all the shit that we encountered that first like everything had been fine and like and great and like exactly what we had hoped for and so yeah we were just like getting out of there like it, it was just nice at that point and weather we didn't have any bad weather no, we had no bad remember. weather we picked a much better route out yeah because the first time we uh we um pl- how we planned it wrong we had the right plan but we we missed it where we ended up above the lake and had to come back down to it yeah because we, we, we did angled extra it and we did extra at the highest elevation yeah and, and we, we were camping were wiped out we were camping above well not above tree line we were at the very tippy tippy top of tree line we were at the last set of trees and on the way down, we just followed the creek and it was glorious. It was yeah. amazing. I wish we'd taken that way on the way up. Yeah, we just had no idea. No, I mean, you could, it's a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Because there's no trail. Um, there's obviously only a couple ways you can go up a, you know, steep embankment. But I remember on the way back when we actually hit trail again. And I was so happy that we were back on a trail that wasn't going to have trees over it. 
that I was like, we only have six miles left. And it's like six miles is a, a, a one way is a big day already. And then yeah, be, it's oh, typically like have... you're like, oh, I got six miles today. That's a full day. And this one was like, oh, we only have six miles. This is amazing because we're on a trail. And the Aspens were changing, had great weather on the way out. So the way everything from the halfway point of the trip to the way out was picture perfect. I feel, I feel like that's when I like took the most pictures too. I remember finally like being able to appreciate the beauty a little more once we got back on the trail. I just remember being like, yes. And we like stopped for a while took some pictures of that viewpoints is really pretty. And then like, yeah, the whole way down, like take pictures of you hiking and then like the different like stuff all around us. And like, yeah, just feeling pumped up, even though it was like six miles with like an overnight pack, but it felt like cake at that point. But I feel like both of these, so I think we're going to have to probably cut it off before we get to the last story. We could do the other one another time. Mm -hmm. Um, But as much as, so I, especially for the golden trout, like it, the fish itself really mattered, you know, because that's the whole reason we went there. Um, but when I think about it, like, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. And it's definitely with the cutthroats. It's like everything else is what comes to mind first. Like how awful the hikes. It's usually just how awful the hike is. Yeah. We, we tend to enjoy those. The, like the, the worse yeah. the hike, the better we enjoy it. But yeah, I don't know. Like for all of my favorite like fishing trips, it's always everything but the fish that I tend to remember. It's the struggle and everything that kind of goes awry from your plan and like yeah and there's like some humor to it and it's like yeah it's just the memories it's like the freaking it's the stuff that you're gonna when you come out and you're like especially just when it's a backcountry trip when you come out and everyone who knows you were going is like all right, tell me your story. Like what, how was your trip? What was the story? And they don't want to hear, oh, we caught this fish and this fish. And that was what we did. Like what we're looking for is like, we want that. Like that's part of the story, but what you're always looking for in the story is like, what went wrong? What did the client do that was ridiculous? Who fell in? Who can tell that kind of a story? And like, and I don't know, that's just always been the most enjoyable thing for me. And I think for our whole crew is just the humor of it. And just like, what happened? Like what outlandish shit in the back country when we're trying to like be in charge of ourselves and often like other grown adults and like, you know, shit just goes down. Like wildlife is out and about and like crazy things happen. And yeah, that's always been my favorite part about that whole, that whole community and being a part of people who get to go out and and do these kind of things in such a like crazy backcountry location on the daily is just like, you never know what you're going to get into because there's so many factors out of your control. And that's, what's so exciting about it. That's the draw for me. And I think for most of us. And so, yeah, when you come back and you're going to talk about it, like, yeah, the fish are, the fish are cool and you want to see it. And if there's a really memorable fish, like you're going to talk about that, but most usually there's not a super memorable fish. It's just like, yeah, we caught some nice fish. It was super fun at the time. But once you're reminiscing on it, the thing you want to talk about is is everything else, is the thing that happened that you weren't planning for. You're always planning right. for fish, you know? And you know what I get frustrated with? And it's easier when you're talking to someone who gets it. You know, if I, if I were telling you a story, I'd be able to tell it. And yeah, you wouldn't be there, but I assume that you can kind of picture how it goes. But I always get really frustrated when, you know, like I come back to work. And someone's like, oh, how was your hike? And I'm like, I don't even want to tell you because I don't think you're going to get the extent mm-hmm. of it. Like, 
I just say like, it was good. And they're like, oh, okay. And there's no way for me to convey to you what, what happened, especially to someone who yeah. doesn't, who doesn't do it. And you're just, I'd rather not even try to like half explain it. I'd rather just say it was good and just call it a day because yeah. for me to give it like a half explanation to someone who doesn't understand it, it just feels like it's not doing it justice, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's always interesting because I'll, I'll, I have lots of people in my life who are like, aren't outdoor people in the slightest and they'll still ask about, or, you know, they'll follow what I'm doing on social media or something and always ask about it. And I'll, yeah, it is a really hard thing to, to talk about or explain. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I did this 10 mile hike and it's like, at, at the same time that to them, 10 miles seems crazy. It also seems like they're just like, Oh, like they can't picture it. it's like an abstract number to them. Like it mm-hmm. isn't a fully formed real thing and there's no way it can be. And so, yeah, that's always an interesting thing where you're like, well, and, and again, that's where I come to, I don't know, emotions like fear or exhaustion that like at some level they can connect to. Like how many people on a daily basis, well, not on a daily basis, because I don't experience it on a daily basis, but I think there are a lot of people out there who have not felt true fear. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, you could definitely can have that without, you know, hiking back into the backcountry. Like if someone's trying to break in your house, that's probably like the realest fear you can feel. But I think a lot of people have not had that like burst of adrenaline Mm -hmm. in a long time because Mm -hmm. they're not putting themselves in admittedly really stupid situations but i i feel like i need that every now and then like it's a reset to just shock my system and be like oh wow it's really nice to on a daily basis not be fearing for my life you know yeah it's so funny about people who are drawn to the back country like we definitely do have something in common in terms of needing like you're saying that reset or that moment of like just purely like having so many elements out of your control and like there's so much to benefit from I mean like yeah like it's beautiful it's peaceful like you're going to see so many things that you just have no access to otherwise you have no idea what you're going to see and so like there's so many positives but at the same time you go into it knowing and almost like being excited for like those negatives those things that are going to get fucked up because they like like we've said every big trip we've planned like things have gone shit wrong like things have gone crazy and been terrifying and and like yeah I don't love it at the time but like that's the stuff we talk about more than anything else so it's like we want that we're seeking that and it isn't interesting like it'd be interesting psychology to like think about more and there's people who take it to an even further extreme I mean like extreme alpinists and people who are doing this like to even much higher degrees and time frames and all of that you're just like I'm interested in those stories and I read up on them and I follow them because I get it. It's like, I may not be doing that level, but I understand the draw. Like as much as to some people, they'd be like, well, why are they even out there trying to climb that mountain? That sounds terrible. And I'm like, I see that side because I'm like, yeah, that sounds terrible. And I know it's terrible. And I get why they're doing it. Yeah. In a weird way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end on that. That was yeah. that was inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that'll do it. As always, if you liked what you heard, go ahead and go over to the Wild Initiative podcast. You can subscribe there and get my shows every Thursday, as well as all of Sam's other shows throughout the week. You can also find my episodes on fishuntamed.com, in addition to weekly backcountry fly fishing articles. 
You can find me on social media at Fish Untamed on Instagram and under my name, Katie Burgert, on Go Wild. And I will see you same time, same place next week.